everybody doing in Carolina? This is obviously not Pete Kaliner, although it's the Pete Kaliner Show. My name is Brad Slager, and I'll be filling in for Pete for the next few days as he's taking a well-deserved break. Apologize for everybody, and thank you for hanging on during the tech issues. But we are live, and we're moving. So, why should you be listening to me? Who am I, and what am I doing on the show? Well, As I said, Brad Slager is my name, and I am a writer over at townhall.com, as well as the front page of redstate.com. Been a guest on Pete's show a number of times, and they have graciously reached out to me, asked me to come on and uh, fill in while Pete is on his vacation. So we will be taking the helm for the next few days to start off with. Why should you be listening to me? Who am I, and why am I worth your time? Well, I am a daily columnist over at Town Hall where I have the column entitled Rift from the Headlines, where I cover the media. Specifically, I detail the problems with the press and our journalism industry, why they behave, how they behave, and the manner in which they manipulate the narratives and drive the news in our country. Now, I know I'm not probably shocking too many of you if I come to you and say, hey, did you know the media is biased and has a certain slant when they're reporting. Most people are aware of this, but what I intend to do with my column, as well as a podcast I have at Red State called Liable Sources, where I delve a little deeper into the problems in the media. The entire purpose of this is to give you more of an insight on how they operate. So I'm basically coming to you, and I'm not saying, hey, the game is fixed, but what I'm trying to do is show you the playbook explain to you how they do and what they do and why they do. And then that gives you, the voter, the social media activist, or anybody that's politically involved, a little more information, a little more ammunition to beat back these narratives. And quite frankly, I think it's working. I have done a number of stories in the last year or so where polling data has shown the general public is losing more and more faith in our media complex and specifically the news outlets. Pew Research has an annual survey they put out where they ask the general public basically what their impression is on a variety of industries. And over the last decade or so, news, journalism, the media in general has been sliding consistently. The last poll that came out about a month or so ago showed that the print journalism has an approval hovering in the 20 percentile. Worse than that, though, broadcast news, the news nets, the cable news, just barely ranks above politicians at about 11% trustworthiness with the general public. And in both of those categories, they've slid about five percentage points over just the last year. So why do we focus on them? Why should we? Well, because we're having this effect and we're seeing the effect on them. The press is losing its traction. And as a result, I uh, I track a lot of their activity where they're also losing their mind, the way they behave, the way that they react to this. They're not handling it well that the general public is taking information by the horns for themselves. We're being able to get out there and find the actual stories, not the ones that they're feeding us. So that is beneficial to everybody involved in politics. But 
I find that it's still necessary to not just keep tabs, but to track and to follow exactly what it is the media is doing and how they're driving these stories. So for the next few days, this is going to be kind of an undercurrent theme. I'm not going to focus entirely on the media the entire time, but I do want to show you how the media is driving news stories and politics and policy in Washington to this day. They're still having that effect. So, you know, my basic history over the years has been kind of three-pronged as far as covering what goes on in the nation. It's been a mixture of politics, Hollywood, and specifically I cover the studio operations, the business side of show business, and then the media. But when the pandemic hit, that took away one of those topics that I covered. Hollywood basically went into the shutdown in 2020 as a result of the pandemic. They completely killed productions on film and television because of separation and all that. So what I had to do was refocus a little bit more on the media side of things. And that's when I developed the column over at town hall. I went to the management there and said, what would you guys think of this? And they said, yeah, that's a, that's a good topic. We need to cover that. I figured I'd have about three days or so a week. I could do it, come up with a couple of stories for each column and then maybe organize them in five or so categories. Well, quickly I found out that there's so much misbehavior, misdeeds going on in the media. I can do this on a daily basis. I usually have five, six, seven or more stories a day on how the media is acting up and what they're doing as far as delivering false information or failing to deliver any information. Something else we're going to be covering on a few topics as we go forward here. And I've got categories now showing this well over a dozen categories I use in my column to illustrate the various ways they do this. So that's going to be the prevailing theme. As I said, we're going to, uh, be bouncing off of the media and into national news stories coming up. So what we're going to be doing next, uh, we're going into a break pretty soon here, but then following that, I'll, uh, I'll expand a little bit more and show you a little bit of the behind the scenes media activities, and then moving that into the news. So stick around if you will. My name again is Brad Slager. And welcome back to the Pete Culliner Show. And this is Brad Slager. I'm filling in for Pete for the next four days. And by way of introduction, I was giving you some of the background of how I cover the media. I want to get now into some of the specifics, show you exactly some of the methodology that the press is using these days. You know, the Joe Biden administration is just rife for content. If you're a journalist, you're, you're looking at so many things taking place that are worthy of coverage, and yet the media exposes themselves. The coordination that goes on with all of the major news outlets in the way that they cover the Joe Biden administration or in the way they don't cover it. One of the prevailing stories going on right now is involving the economy. It's been the case for over a year. We all know it. Inflation, gas prices, everything else has been hitting everybody. But of late, in the last week or so, the word recession has reared itself up. And this has become 
a problem of sorts for the press. Why? Because it's definable. It's measurable. The recession is something that we have always recognized using some basic metrics. And the media has come out all of a sudden in about the last week or so with a complete recalibration of the recession. And what makes this even more disturbing, their behavior here, is that it's a direct line of reference to the White House, to the administration. It was, I believe, on Monday of last week when they came out and started to declare, hey, uh, this really isn't a recession. The, the, the measurements, the metrics, the various influences are not there yet. We're not in a recessionary period. And wouldn't you know it, in the ensuing days of that announcement, <laughs> that gaslighting claim that came out of the administration, suddenly we saw repeated stories, articles, columns in the media telling all of us, no, no, folks, uh, we're, we're not in a recession here. It was rather amazing to watch and it, amazing, not in an impressive fashion, but more of a reaction of really you guys trying to do this. <laughs> it, one of the first instances I saw came from the Associated Press of all things. So their desperate report is what I'll call it came out last week. And they said, by one common definition, the economy shrinking for consecutive quarters, the U.S. economy is on the cusp of a recession. Yet that definition isn't the one that counts. So this is the AP setting the stage. Those measurements we've used for generations to determine what is a recession. Suddenly, uh, we're not going to use those anymore. We're going we're gonna to sidestep that. You know, the common definition of it, and you could look this up in the dictionary. You can uh, go on Siri <laughs> and say, just say, what is a definition of recession? And you'll see everybody pretty much has agreed up until last week that two consecutive economic quarters in which the gross domestic product shrinks, you know, has a negative readout would constitute a recession. It's always been the case. And yet here we have the media trying to insist, no, 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 uh, we're not going to follow that anymore. Right after the AP came out with this, I saw Ben White in Politico make a very similar claim that, that somehow it's inaccurate to rely on this historical standard. And, and there's far more metrics that we need to first analyze before we can declare a recession taking place. This would be the same Ben White who in 2019 had made the declaration during the Trump administration that two consecutive quarters of negative growth had us in a recession. Hmm. So people started to reach out to Ben White and said, excuse me, I'm just a little confused because you prior... <laughs> told us that this actually was the very definition of it. And he then came back and declared that, well, I, I you can't really go on an old tweet of mine. And, uh, you know, I've since studied anew 
what constitutes a recession and have come to find out that there's far more needed before we can declare. This is their economic expert, by the way. His job is to study the economy. And he had to come out and declare he actually had not been doing his job and had to go and research once again what constituted a recession. By the way, it was just about a month prior that he had, in fact, alluded to the very metric. He had said, if the upcoming quarter is a negative, then that is going to basically have us in a recession. And now, after the White House guidance, he's coming out and telling us, no, 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 but that's not accurate after all. And this has been a theme, something we've been seeing repeatedly in the press telling us that their prior measurements of a recession doesn't count anymore. Uh, another one I found, this one really amused me, was PolitiFact. The fact-checking experts over at the Pointer Institute, the media think tank. PolitiFact gave us a very lengthy explanation of why we can't say we're in a recession. There's a variety of other things we have to look at and, and all these other influences we have to wait to come in to play. Yet, this is the same PolitiFact, mind you, that not long ago had this entry, again, 2019, again, in the Donald Trump administration, said, regarding the economy, one of the key takeaways, the technical definition of an overall economic recession was met when the industrial production index from the Federal Reserve fell for two quarters in a row. In July... The Federal Reserve released numbers showing that the industrial production dropped at an annual rate of 1.2% in the second quarter, and that came on top of a decline in the first quarter. Technically, two back-to-back -back quarters of falling growth amounts to a recession. So this is PolitiFact holding our hand, walking us through it, and explaining to us definitively we're in a recession in 2019. Those exact same standards are in play today. And now they're saying, well, 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 now let's tell you now why we're not in a recession, despite the fact that everything I just explained to you is in place. Here's what's really going on. This is a Hail Mary with an eye on the midterms. What the press is trying to do here is hope against hope that the next quarter will show even a modicum of growth or a break even, a 0%, anything of the sort. And then they can say, see, see, we, we told you we didn't know for sure. And now we know for sure that we're not in a recession. And that's only if they don't get that number. If they do get that number, holy cow, bloodbath in November. Welcome back to WBT. This is Brad Slager sitting in for Pete Kaliner. And uh, just a reminder, you can listen to us abroad at WBT.com. Also, check out the social media accounts at WBT Radio. All right, there is a really interesting story as far as the media is concerned. 
and it actually concerned myself. I'm down here in Florida, as it were, and just two weekends ago, we had a pair of conservative conferences that took place in our state. One of them was held by the Florida GOP down here in my area. It was called the Sunshine Summit, and there were a number of politicians and media figures that showed up. There were a couple debates between candidates because of our upcoming primary here in Florida. And the other event was staged by Talking Points USA. It was their annual Student Action Summit held in Tampa Bay, Florida, and I went up for that. We had uh, Red State, a number of figures attending, as well as myself with them. So we uh, saw firsthand one of the bigger stories you might have heard splashed across the news networks about how Nazis had arrived at the Talking Point USA Summit and the desperate move to tie the Nazis into the conference. I last was on with Pete just after this conference, and we talked about it briefly. But after my appearance with him, the story continued to evolve in the media. The, the desperation to tie this into the GOP, to Ron DeSantis, and others. Their big mistake was I was there, as were a number of other conservative media and bore witness to this sham. Now, I've got a familiarity with these Florida Nazis. I encountered them in February at the National CPAC conference that was held in Orlando. And this is a ragtag bunch of nobodies. You, If you saw it on the media, however, you would have thought this was an incursion of Nazi infiltration in the state of Florida. They build this up to almost sound as if we've got baseball stadiums filled up with citizens listening to Nazi speeches and converting us. These were eight idiots out there flying flags that were perfect for the cameras and little else. I tried to interview these guys. They wouldn't really speak to me. They had a bullhorn and would just shout out their little talking point. <laughs> hatred, supposedly. It was all done for the cameras. There were more people in line for coffee than there were Nazis in attendance. And the national media tried desperately to build this up. On the view, not that they are any kind of political seriousness to, to listen to, but they tried desperately to tie this in. They tried to say that the conference invited the Nazis inside welcomed them with open arms. Nothing could be further from the truth. The people outside looking at these Nazis mocked them, laughed at them. A couple people were shouting back and forth. There was not a single individual showing support for these idiots. But this is what the press tried to do. And a couple of them even reported that they showed up as Ron DeSantis spoke, which was wrong because he had already come down here to South Florida where I'm at. He was speaking in Hollywood, Florida, not in Tampa, so that was wrong. I mean, every single aspect of this story was incorrect. And it just shows you the lack of journalism that takes place in these cases. You might have seen a number of stories throughout the year where they have other supposed hate groups show up. Patriot Front, a bunch of guys dressed in khakis and Navy shirts and hats and glasses and masks. And they march around with tiki torches and other things. They always show up at events with little to say. 
Every single one of these reports, however, fails significantly in one regard, and that is they never manage to speak to these people. You never see them on camera talking about why they're protesting, which is something I ask them directly. It's like, what are you out here to do? What's your specific protest? They wouldn't say. And the press never follows through on this. And I'm going to tie this next into the second conference I mentioned in South Florida. Because the media then got very upset because they were limiting who in the media would be permitted to go to the Sunshine Summit. So it was it was very selective. They turned down a number of media members, you know, from the bigger outlets. You know, a lot of uh, Florida news outlets were not given credentials and as well as the national. And they proceeded to lose their mind. A number of columns came out last week about this, how the GOP was tamping down on free speech, denying press access to their event was somehow a threat to the First Amendment, to the freedom of the press, to our general democracy, of course, despite the fact that they had full access to the activities going on if they wanted to. Every single debate, every single conference, panel, what have you, was all streamed online. They could have watched and partaken in that fashion of anything that took place inside. What had the media upset, however, was that they weren't allowed into the area so that they could badger the people in attendance. You know how that is, where they try to get people on camera to say wacky things. They're looking for those costume LARPers wearing the tri-corner hat who talk about, oh, the election was stolen from us and things of this nature. They want to selectively find the crackpots in the crowd and then interview them on camera to hold them up as the standard. CNN has a reporter by the name of Donio Sullivan, whose specific job seems to be this. He goes to every... Donald Trump speech or conservative conference or Republican enclave. And he only finds these people, you know, the ones that spray paint Donald Trump's name on their jeans and they have garish red, white, and blue hats all over. And they just love to talk to those people so that they can unravel their wild theories. So the press went on and on about this for days number of major outlets, how the GOP is avoiding the press, locking out the press, saying this is proof that Republicans don't want to be challenged and don't want their message to get out. Despite, again, like I said, it's available. You could have seen every single thing take place. You could have gone to Starbucks, pulled it up on your laptop and watched the entire conference uninterrupted. That was possible. But they had to claim a threat to our democracy up until Thursday of last week. Thursday, suddenly, all of this talk kind of evaporated. How come? Uh, Well, this came from, I actually spotted it from Jake Sherman. He writes for uh, Punchbowl News, one of the bigger newsletters that come out of D.C. And he had this announcement for the media. Now, again, balance this out against the Two, three days of massive hype. Republicans are killing First Amendment rights and the free press. 
You don't hear any of this from Jake Sherman, though, as he reported, quote, heads up to all the Hill press corps. Senate Democrats have barred reporters from staking out the room in which they're discussing the reconciliation package. So don't waste your time going. Um, wait a second. I'm sorry. That sounds to me, sounds exactly the same to me as to what you were just complaining about for the last few days being locked out of a one main difference though the republican conference was more of like a strategy session you know gearing up for the election setting some debates this is elected politicians actively enforcing government policy and locking the press out i i think on balance that second example might be a little bit tougher a little bit worse, more of a threat, let's say, to the First Amendment. Yet note the entire lack of hysteria here. We don't hear any of that once the Democrats are involved and suddenly the narrative 